Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Whether you're aware of it or not, 5G wireless technology is coming. It means faster internet speeds and improved connections. It has potential benefits for businesses and consumers. It could also help close the broadband divide for some tribal technology users. At the same time, it has some pitfalls that could make the transition bumpy and even dangerous for some people. We'll hear about the highlights and concerns about the technology switch over to 5G. That's right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Shirley Jihad, in for Antonia Gonzalez. U.S. Interior Secretary Deborah Holland referenced her own family's forced displacement as she acknowledged the 80th anniversary this week of the executive order that started the so-called relocation camps during World War II. Holland toured what's known as Camp Amache in Colorado. She met with Japanese camp survivors and their families. And in a virtual discussion about that event, Holland, the country's first Native American cabinet secretary, relayed her personal connection to forced family separation. As some of you may know, I'm intimately familiar with the forced removal of families from their homes. My maternal grandparents were stolen from their families when they were only eight years old and were forced to live in boarding schools away from their parents, culture, and communities until they were 13. To heal from these types of historical wounds that we carry, it takes a deep reckoning with these truths and a recognition that they have generational impacts. President Franklin Roosevelt on February 19, 1942, signed the proclamation that led to the forced incarceration of some 120,000 Japanese and Japanese Americans. Many were U.S. citizens. About 7,000 of those were sent to the Granada Relocation Center in Colorado. It's now known as Camp Amachi National Historic Site. A bill to make that location part of the national park system is making its way through Congress. The leader of the U.S. Small Business Administration is making her first visit to Indian country. She's coming to the Navajo Nation to discuss how the American Rescue Plan and the Infrastructure Investment Act can benefit Native American communities. Those two laws include $33 billion in investments for Native American communities. SBA leader Isabella Casillas-Guzman is meeting with Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez and other tribal officials in Window Rock, Arizona, the tribe's capital. Tonga is back online after a massive blackout that lasted about a month and a half. Internet connections are restored and back up and running on the island nation. The massive volcano five weeks ago shredded the undersea cable that connects Tonga to the rest of the world. Now that that's repaired, residents report receiving emails and Internet calls coming in from family overseas. That volcano January 15th covered Tonga in ash. It prompted tsunamis that flooded lands across the Pacific. The U.S. Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in two separate cases involving tribal sovereignty. The first case centers on gambling rights and Native American tribes in Texas. The question is whether a Texas state law banning gaming holds 
or whether the more permissive Indian Gaming Regulatory Act governs the tribe's rights to implement gambling on their land. It's been going through the court systems for decades. The other case the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing today involves double jeopardy. The question is whether rules against double jeopardy apply when a case is first tried in the Court of Indian Offenses, CFR courts. The specific case coming forward involves a Navajo man on trial for domestic violence and assault. He pleaded guilty in the Court of Indian Offenses. There he was sentenced to time served and released. Months later, though, after a broader investigation, he was indicted by a federal grand jury for the same offense and tried in federal court in Colorado. There he was found guilty, and there he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. I'm Shirley Jihad. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, currently seeking documentary film proposals for public media television broadcasting that represent the cultures, experiences, and perspectives of Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Deadline for submission is Friday, February 11th at visionmakermedia.org. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications for the upcoming school year are now accepted at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. 5G wireless technology offers higher internet speeds and more reliable service. It's seen as one way for tribes to help close the broadband access gap. At the same time, the inevitable march toward ever-improving technology could leave a number of Native people out. By the end of this year, wireless companies will have largely shut off service for previous 3G technology. That's fine, unless you have a device that only works on 3G. The Strong Hearts Native Helpline, a sexual violence and domestic assault prevention organization, is among those expressing concerns that the drive toward 5G excludes many people, especially rural reservation residents who might lack means to keep up with tech advances. Today, we'll hear about what is possible with 5G and how it differs from what most people are using today. We'll also get an idea of ways some Native people will fall through the gaps. Want to join the conversation? You know you do. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. As always, that's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is Jeffrey Blackwell. He's the Chief Strategy Officer and General Counsel for Ameren Risk and the former Chief of the Federal Communications Commission's Office of Native Affairs and Policy. He's Omaha, Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Muscogee Creek. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Jeff. It's Jay Chukma. It's, uh, it's an honor to be back on your show. Thanks, Sean. Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, is Dr. Tracy Morris. She is the executive director of the American Indian Policy Institute at Arizona State University. She's from the Chickasaw Nation. Welcome back to NAC as well, Dr. Morris. Hello. 
And joining us from Traverse City, Michigan, we have Cece Hovey. She's the Communications Manager for Strong Hearts Native Helpline, and she's Anishinaabe from the Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians. Cece, welcome to the show. Miigwech. Thank you, Sean. A note of disclosure before we get started, folks, Amarind Risk and Strong Hearts Native Helpline are both financial sponsors of Native America Calling's parent company, Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation. That said, like many of you, I'm hearing a lot about 5G technology, so much hype these days, the future of the internet, and I've got questions about things like virtual reality, the metaverse, this fully digital world that for better or worse, we'll all be immersed in. So please, Jeff, I'd like to have you start our conversation today by telling us why is 5G such a big deal? Oh, that's a, uh, that's a good question. So um, 5G, of course, stands for the, the fifth generation of wireless mobile networks in the United States. Uh, the first generation was kind of uh, back in the 80s, if people remember, when uh, cell phones were really just analog voice. Uh, the second generation was in the early 1990s when there was digital voice, or some people called that CDMA technology. Um, third generation was just about a decade later, early 2000s. That's when uh, the first mobile data networks uh, were developed. So, you know, in when um, when the Internet really started getting adopted at a huge rate across the United States uh, through people's um, uh, mobile phones, when it, which they first started getting called sort of smartphones. Uh, fourth generation was in the 2010s, uh, 4G or 4G LTE. That was when there was much uh, greater speed. 5G is really um, uh, it's a it's a further development of this of of this mobile broadband um, and and what what its promise is that the way in which the technology uses um, the wireless airwaves or the frequencies or what's called uh, electromagnetic spectrum uh, it creates a a digital signal that uh, can be used across several different channels to reduce interference and is much more scalable, is much faster, uh, and can be utilized by many different types of devices. So, you know, you hear about it being used for everything from healthcare to, you know, auto driving cars, um, but it, it has a uh, it is also kind of changing the face. It will change the face of the way that networks are built in the United States. Um, you know, kind of heretofore, you'd see these big poles or towers or masts. 5G, uh, in order to, to provide that kind of signal strength, uh, there are going to be smaller devices, smaller boxes, smaller radio devices, and they're going to be more proliferous they're going to be more throughout communities so rather on rather than you know having one big cell structure on top of a large tower or mast it will be um you know smaller devices that uh -huh. could be the size of you know devices the size of a large box on the sides of buildings and on poles okay Jeff, I'm, I'm looking out the window right now and I see one of those really large towers that, that you're describing. So I don't know if that's a good thing to have 
less of those, but more smaller ones or just uh, these larger ones, but fewer of them. But I I'm curious, Jeff, for as a user, the difference between 5G and these other lower quality versions of wireless internet, um, what's that going to be like for just people using their phones? And I, we hear it's a lot faster and, and things like that. So what's that experience going to be like? So that's the major thing. I mean, wireless technology is the fast, fastest adopted technology by humans since, like, the bow, since the wheel. Um, everybody 20 years ago, even, you know, 25 years ago, thought that there would always be a, a wireline telephone in your house. Houses were designed around them. There were little nooks in houses, and nobody ever thought that they would, you know, it was seen as being a luxury device. The phones were... A thousand, a thousand five hundred dollars. It was something for the ultra rich. Actually, now we're back to those fifteen hundred dollar phones. But now you have <laughs> folks who have three, four wireless devices. They have a phone. They have their uh, laptop. They have their iPad. They have, you know, um, something in their car or something. Um, it does promise more speed. It does promise uh, more reliability and, and lower latency. Uh, you know, it's kind of the, the timing of uploading the internet, if you will. Um, yeah, and, the, and the, the, there is going to be much more placement, not necessarily much more construction, but one can certainly imagine, you know, these are going to be much more throughout communities. Um, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the challenges, one of the major question marks when it comes to 5G in Indian country is you know, what's driving, what are the economic factors that are driving the deployment of wireless services in the United States? Um, a lot of it has to do with population density. So, you know, in crowded areas, that's where 5G is being targeted by the industries first. And as you know, in Indian country, we're, we're more remote. We have small, uh, more remote populations. And um, one other thing that drives deployment is, is relative wealth. So you're going to see in richer and upper middle class communities and more densely populated. So you're going to see 5G move from the cities, uh, you know, hopefully out into the countryside and, and eventually to, to Indian country. Um, there are some great exceptions to that. There are tribes right now that are, that are preparing to deploy 5G with their own resources or with federal resources. Uh, one thing that I think it's very important for, Sean, for, for your listeners to understand is in order to have that kind of capacity, all of those little boxes, they need to have fiber to them. So they mm. need major backhaul as well. And that's a big challenge in Indian country. Now, Jeff, it's not just as simple as taking an old phone and connecting to 5G. What all does a person or a community need to be able to access this 5G network? So from the community standpoint, it does mean that they're going to be, there's going to be a switchover in, in, in devices and community members want to, want to be careful to, as they're shopping and looking for devices for something that's still going to carry, you know, still going to, going to, going to retro to earlier types of, of platforms earlier, you know, 4G, um, and so, I recently got a 5G phone, and I'm kind of testing it out myself as I as I travel around the country in Indian country. As slowly things start to open up again, um, I do think communities also need to be prepared for more of the 
that infrastructure seeing and kind of um, seeing it and in having it in the community. Um, and like I just said, um, really, it's not just putting a box on a tower. It's making sure to get enough power to those to those transmitters and fiber backhaul to those transmitters to to run that higher, um, more powerful form of Internet. Now, we're not just talking about getting Internet on our phones so we can play around on Facebook and, and, and watch YouTube videos. I mean, there's a lot more to it. So why is wireless Internet access so important in our native communities? So this is something Dr. Morris has studied, and I don't want to steal her thunder, but I, I can tell you is that, um, you know, we, we all know that she did one of the first studies associated with how natives adopt technology, and it was it was well over a decade ago. We know that native communities are are highly mobile themselves. I mean, folks here at Amarin go from home on the Pueblo to drive across, uh, you know, 30, 40 miles to work and back. Uh, so we are a mobile, we are mobile communities, um, also very social. Um, but it's it. The promise of 5G is to take that kind of um, computing that you might have if you were hooked up at home, or to you know to really high speed internet at home and and really put it in your pocket or your purse. Okay, taking that high speed wireless technology and putting it in your pocket or your purse. Are you excited to make the switch to 5G? Are you cool sticking with 4G in that old iPhone 10 you got for Christmas back in 2018? Folks, give us a call. We really want to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848. Love to get your thoughts and comments. We'll be back right after this break. The Olympic Winter Games may have just wrapped up but traditional native winter games are still going strong. From snow snake to snowshoe and dog sled races, games require endurance and skill and help break up the cold winter months. We'll hear about it on the next Native America Calling. How mitakuya piki. It's never too late. Schedule a dental visit for your children today. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-877-KIDS-NOW. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you looking forward to new 5G technology being available in your community? It promises higher internet speeds to accommodate the increasing data loads new technology requires. But you might also be among those who are losing out because your personal technology can't keep up. We're talking about 5G today. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. Jeff, here, here's my dilemma, okay? I, I remember when you could buy a high-end smartphone for like $500. Then I remember when they started going up in price and you could get a really nice phone for about 800. Now, like you mentioned earlier, it's nothing to spend a thousand bucks on a phone. 
And I'm to the point now, I'm like over it, okay? Phones don't last very long. In fact, I just bought a new phone this week, believe it or not, and I chose the cheapest Android that Verizon had. It cost me like $150. Now, of course, it's only 4G, but I pretty much just talk and text and use a few apps. But I gotta admit, I'm a little worried. Um, am I gonna be okay sticking with 4G or, or am I gonna regret it later, Jeff? What do you think? You know, I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm, I am worried about certain parts of our country. I'm worried in part certain parts of, uh, you know, the socioeconomic map of the United States, and, and definitely certain parts of Indian country. Five um, G is not going to be coming right away. You know, they, they, some of the industry groups say that the full transition won't be done until 2025. But um, you know, one of the major issues we have in closing the digital divide in Indian country has to do with what you just mentioned, affordability. And that is a, uh, you know, it's not just about affordability. It's all about also about digital inclusion. How do we, how do we ensure that our communities, communities of color, communities of distance, communities of disenfranchised in the United States are included in these technological revolutions that where, you know, at certain times it just feels like, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for cost. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've talked with tribe leaders around the United States who are trying to use kind of bulk buying power for their communities who are working on trying to get fiber, middle mile fiber to their communities so that last mile technologies like 5G or as we say from Indian country, that first mile right outside your your home in Indian country so that they, so the communities even have that option. But you make a really good point. When they, when the wireless internet comes, you know, at what cost? And, and, and we know that, that humans will prioritize that, that technology over other things, but at what expense is a big question, I think, for, for our country and for our tribal nations to answer. Jeff, thanks again for, for that background. And at this point, let's go ahead and bring Dr. Tracy Morris into the conversation. And Tracy, earlier, Jeff referenced your research with regard to internet access and tribal communities. And, and just why is it so important that Native people and tribal community have access to this technology at this crucial time in human history? Well, I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things to think about towards that. Um, I, I've worked in this space for a long time, not as long as Jeff, but a long time. And the primary reason I got into this area was to make sure that, first of all, we had a voice in Indian country at the table, that we were part of the policymaking table as these new technologies came along so we could tell our story. Um, so that was my first impetus into this. But um, it's, it's so, at, at this point, it's so much further beyond what I thought it was going to be. If we don't, if you don't have connectivity in a lot of ways, you don't exist. You can't file taxes. You can't, uh, you can't do telehealth. If you, you cannot, I mean, you can't participate in governance in the way that other folks do. You can't participate in education the way other people do. It is imperative that you have, that, that tribal folks have access to, to good, reliable technology and connectivity. Well, Tracy, at the current moment, how well prepared are tribes overall with regard to making this huge leap into 5G? 
So the research that we've done, that I've done, and that, I've, that we've done at AIPI, American Indian Policy Institute, is really more at the individual user level. We haven't studied specific tribes, and tribes are always going to have different responses based on their geography and their location and things and their environment and things like that. But what we've found in our research is, number one, in my early study that Jeff, Jeff referenced, is that Native folks are higher. We, we adopt new technologies at higher rates. And in 2009, when we put out our first study, they were, we were adopting at higher rates than our you know, American counterparts in other communities. Now, in 2019, we put out um, a follow-up to that study, and we found that, uh, that folks on tribal lands are using smartphones as a primary means of accessing the Internet. So I, I can't speak to the larger, like a tribal perspective, but I can speak on an individual perspective because that's what our research has been. Now, there are some that say 5G is not the best way to bring the internet to underserved communities like we have in some parts of Indian country. And they argue that old school fiber networks are actually low cost, they offer a lot of bandwidth, and they last a really long time. Is that true? Fiber is fiber's gold, yeah talk to Jeff about that one. Fiber is gold and we have to have that. 5G is just a stopgap and we have to we have to have that as well. You need both. But you can't have good 5G without fiber. You've got to have fiber. So you have to have both. Okay. Um, tribal broadband resources that are available. Tell us what's out there. In terms of data or in terms of in terms um, of just tribes that are looking funding. to make that switch and maybe need extra support to help them make that switch to 5g or just just regular native people that that need help upgrading or, or getting onto this new network well i think there's a variety of resources i know that there's different organizations that are working on it we have uh, at aipi we have a tribal broadband resources page that has you know articles and information and blog posts and, and such and I know that um, I'm pretty sure that Jeff's organization has some of that information. Uh, there's a resource page being developed, but it's, it tends to be more for the end user and not for the tribal nation. The tribal nation works a different route and is going to be working with, you know, organization to organization, whereas a tribal member who needs to learn about this, uh, they need to start in different places. So, like I say, we have some information. We've got a couple of studies. We did just put out um, the... 2022 Tribal Broadband Priorities document, and it's uh, based on, on all of the um, tribal consultations. We've synthesized that into several specific areas where we think um, this needs to go in the next few years at a policy level. But on the end user, folks are going to have to, they're going to have to, there's no comprehensive place for it. That's one of the reasons that we specialize in, in this in this research at ASU is because there's nobody doing this research. There's nobody compiling this data. We actually don't have data on so much of connectivity, access, use, and availability. We, and, but we do have, I, I'm gonna, I should, we should toss this to Jeff because Jeff has got, um, at Amerind is working with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance on a project now where there's gonna be some information out there for folks, I believe. Am I correct on that, Jeff? Yeah, we uh, we just announced a partnership with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance in a, a project that's funded by Google to embed um, uh, 
digital outreach um, inclusion advocates in Indian country across across Indian country to to kind of go tribe by tribe, well region by region, tribe by tribe, you know, community by community, and and family by family to help folks understand how to use and all of the the benefits and you know the challenges you know of of the internet. Um, they're called. These folks are going to be called native digital navigators, and uh, we're just getting it off the ground now. So I referenced earlier digital inclusion. That is the new terminology that what we used to call long ago adoption, which was very much a, a Washington-centric word. Inclusion now is is very much coming from communities asking for engagement about getting in the Internet, getting into the Internet on their own terms and for their own needs. Well, just speaking of these native digital advocates, do you know about what percentage of native people are still using these older technologies, 2G and 3G, to connect to the Internet? You know, I think there's a lot of uh, 3G out there uh, in Indian country um, because, you know, depending on the device, how far it will scale back, um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of investment in in 3G and in um, 4G how long, more, more recently. How long will those 3G networks still be up and will people people be able to use 3G devices? You know, it's kind of like the answer to your question about is my phone going to work? It's going to be very locational. It's going to matter from, from different license area to different license area. Um, it, but but you can you can pretty much rest assured that as communities transition over to 5G, the older technologies will be phased out because it's all about using spectrum is a finite resource, and and one of the ideas is about using it in more efficient ways. You know, one of the major purposes uh, of these industries is to use it in in more efficient ways. Okay. Well, so, here's another thought. You know, I, I remember when the internet first really started taking hold. And I think we're talking like mid, late 90s kind of. And we reached this point where pretty much every home had to have a computer. And it was very clear then how cost prohibitive it was for some families and communities. And now they were essentially being left out of this whole IT revolution. So, um, you know, my question is like, how long are we going to have when when is how long is 5G going to be around before there's something newer, you know, a 6G or some new technology that's going to make that obsolete and then we're all in the same boat again in a dozen years or so. You know, Sean, I don't have a crystal ball for that. I don't think anybody does, but um your question about your question about cost is something that's very important and it's not just cost for the consumer not just cost to the tribal household, it's also cost to the community to get technology in. And one of the things that Tracy mentioned that I mentioned before that I, I really think is important for all your listeners and for you to understand is the relationship between wireless technology and wireline technology. Right now, our major problem in Indian country, and, and Tracy touched on it, and I'd like to drive it home, is that we lack robust fiber to our to our communities um a study that a bunch of us were involved with uh, back at the end of the obama administration that's kind of cloaked in non-disclosure agreements now but it's a it's kind of a widely kept secret is that there's about eight thousand missing miles 
of middle mile fiber to Indian country. And the real, you know, that's the real Valhalla of technology usage. You know, we got lucky here at Amarant. There was the Pueblo of Santa Ana was doing a water project that came with monitoring of grant money, and they put in fiber to do that. You know, of course, to keep the water safe and secure for their community. And as the trucks were rolling down the street, a couple of our IT guys came running to my office and said, "There's fiber being put in." So <laughs> we actually. We actually tracked down the guys putting in the truck. We jumped in the car and and backtracked it to the folks that were building it. And we said, "Hey, it, can you can you do a drop? Can we get fiber to our <laughs> building off this road? You know, a couple hundred yards off this road." So, uh-huh. you know, I'm talking to you right now on a fiber network that is, um, you know, you can scroll through pages on the internet like you do pages in a book. And the promise of 5G is to bring that, but at what cost, you ask? It's not just the cost across the table. It's what represent across the counter. It's also what, you know, what is it going to cost the community? What is the What are the industries going to say to tribal communities to put it in? Right now, the federal government's making some investments, but that 8,000 missing miles, that's what's going to be the important answer right. to your question about 12 years down the road. Right, right. Well, I love your use of the word Valhalla, uh, 8,000 missing miles of fiber in Indian country. Let's go ahead and bring C.C. Hovey into the conversation now. And um, C.C., I know you look at this issue under a different lens than perhaps a typical techie person would. How does 5G expansion affect Native people who are vulnerable to violence? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so, you know, Stronghearts Native Helpline is really concerned about phasing out of 3G by the end of this year. And it's already happening. Actually, the FCC uh, website says AT&T 3G shutdown is today. Um, and Sprint's was January 1st and Verizon's by the end of this year. So those are the three, you know, the major ones. And so it's happening and that is a real concern for um, Native American uh, victims of domestic and sexual violence um, who are already probably isolated um, because of their abusive situations. So um, just an example could be that um, they, you know, maybe they don't have access to a phone or they were given a an older phone secretively so that they could call 911 if things got really bad. Um, and maybe that phone is a 3G phone. And now they're completely shut off from access to help. Um, so that's a real concern for us. Another concern is um medical alert devices, personal alarms, ankle monitors used by law enforcement to keep track of people who are on parole. And so all of those things can be affected um, by the the shutdown of 3G and these older networks, Um, which is, you know, it it bleeds into the, you know, keeping people safe. All of those things are interconnected. Yeah, we hear so much talk nowadays about the Internet of Things, like you mentioned, even, you know, an ankle bracelet or something like that. So, Cece, some of the people that you work with, is it easy for them to simply incur the expense of upgrading a device or accessing a 5G network? Um, no, I mean, uh, no, not really, um, because, you know, the dynamics of domestic violence are all about isolation uh, and power and control. 
And so people who are in domestic violence relationships um, are usually, they usually don't have access to money. And these older, these, I'm sorry, these newer phones, like you've already talked about, are very, very expensive. And so another way that an abusive person can maintain that power and control is to not allow somebody to buy a newer phone where they would have this uh, level of access. Understood. Well, Cece, thank you again for, for some of this background. Really, really interesting conversation that we are having today, folks, here on Native America Calling. If you are a techie who has already made the switch to 5G, I know one of our guests has, we'd love to hear from you today and tell us, how's 5G working out for you? I'd really, really like to know, is it that much faster? Are, are songs that much quicker to, to stream and videos? What about playing games? All that stuff. I'd just really like to get your comments and your feedback on what you think of this whole 5G revolution that's underway. So give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we will be right back after a short break. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, StrongHeart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by StrongHeart's Native Helpline. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Who doesn't want higher internet speeds when streaming the latest TikTok video or playing Minecraft on your mobile device? 5G promises to boost your capability, but only if you have equipment that can handle it. We're learning about what to expect as more and more places convert to 5G wireless connectivity. And you can join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. And we have a caller on the line right now, in fact. His name is Melvin. He is listening on KZYK in Santee, Nebraska. Melvin, you are on the air. Good morning. Uh, I have a question for these guys about telemedicine. I live in a rural area about 20 miles from the village. Like today, it's 11 below, and I had a doctor's appointment, but I didn't want to go. It was too cold to go out. How does telemedicine benefit me living out in a rural area? I have computer, I have Wi-Fi, I got that much. I would like to, how is this new technology going to benefit me? I, I want to be connected because it's easier for me with my age. I'm a double amputee. So it's hard for me to get around, and I would sure love to use this new technology for my health. Well, Melvin, thank you for that call, that question, and please stay warm, 11 degrees below zero. That is really, really cold, especially it's almost March, so, so stay warm. Tracy, I'd like to give you a chance to respond to Melvin's question regarding 
telehealth and 5G technology? What's What are his options? Well, telehealth will be a big help to you uh, when, when it's available, if it's available. I do think um, Indian Health Services is starting to implement that and other doctor's offices. What it allows you to do is do a private um, protected um, encrypted video with your doctor. Uh, you'll have, you know, you can give him your vitals if you've got that equipment. You know, you can take them and give them to him or her, and they can, they can, it can replace a lot of care. Not everything, of course, but it, it can replace those trips out in the cold that you don't, that, that are not smart to make. Uh, it definitely can be a big help, and it would have benefited folks tremendously during COVID um, to have had the, that ability to connect with telehealth. It, it would have been a huge help. And now because of COVID, um, so much of medicine has moved that direction faster than it was already moving. So most doctors now are doing, you know, Zooms and, and private, uh, you know, private meetings online with folks if they can. And so it would, it would be a great help to you. It depends on what connectivity you've got in your house. On 5G, it's going to make the difference on, and your speeds are going to make the difference on what kind of information you can send your doctor or your doctor can send you, how well the video quality is. Um, if he needs to show you an x-ray, it'll take a lot more data. So um, it just depends on what you have there, where you're at. But it's going to be a huge benefit to our communities, like, you know, and our folks that are rural and remote like you. So, yes, stay warm. Stay warm. I'm glad I'm in Phoenix where it's in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, you're nice and nice and toasty there in Phoenix. Tracy, thank you for, for responding to, to Melvin's question. And I, I want to ask Cece again, I, before we went to break, Cece, you were talking about, you know, the cost of a phone. And for some folks, that's it's really a challenge to, to get a new device simply to access this new network. But um, it, it's also just not an issue of having a device. You know, a person also needs a 5G cellular plan. Uh, for example, even Melvin, who just called and, and wants to access, you know, telehealth appointments. And, and he might not only just need that device, but that increased data plan as well. Uh, Cece, do you know, are those plans, those 5G plans, are the, is that another additional cost in addition to, to the device? Are they more expensive too? Um, well, uh, that's a great question. I would think so. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about your experience when you bought your phone. Did they offer different plans at different rates? I mean, I'm sure they, they would. Um, so yeah, that's, that's seemingly going to be an additional ongoing, you know, monthly upcharge as well. Okay. Well, I got to confess, I didn't even look at the, I didn't even want a 5G. I was like, I don't want to spend any more money than I have to. So I just went with the, that cheap phone. I just stuck with my current 4G plan. I was like, I'm not even going to look into it. So I, I wouldn't know. But, you know, Cece, earlier I, I mentioned, um, you know, how I, I remember when this whole transition, when the internet really took off and I could tell that certain families and certain communities, it was, it was a challenge for them. And they were Essentially, I felt being being left out of the IT revolution simply because some of this stuff was so cost prohibitive. And I'm, I'm curious, do you think we are looking at something similar now with this switch to 5G? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, you know, the gap is widening, right? And this is just another... Uh, thing that will continue to widen the gap between, you know, the people who can afford to make that change and the people who cannot or just simply will not. Sure, sure. 
You know, Erica, obviously though, I mean, 5G isn't going anywhere. So what's the answer? Because, um, you know, what needs to happen so that somebody with an out-of-date cell phone, that doesn't mean the difference between safety and harm. That, that really concerns me. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, so we published an article on our website last week, um, and we outlined some of those safety tips. So we really are, you know, we, like you said, at the top of the program, um, you keep hearing about 5G and like all of its benefits and all the things that it's going to give us and bring to us. And um, I think Jeff even mentioned um, that it's going to increase, you know, it's going to be more and faster and better. And, and that all of that is coming. So the positives are the thing that is really being highlighted in the media right now um, and through the, and through the companies. Um, but there isn't really enough conversation about the, the people with 3G um, and how that's going to actually affect them and then what they can do um, to help ensure that they have access. So we're telling, you know, we're advising people to check with their service provider. If you don't know if you have a 3G phone, um, you know, contact your service provider, ask them about your phone, um, ask them what kind of uh, plans that they offer to upgrade. Uh, like we talked about, um, you know, the monthly plans, um, things of that nature and figure out how much um, that's going to, you know, affect your life and your costs and your bottom line. Um, and make a plan for it. Um, we just don't want people to wait until it's too late, until they pick up, you know, their old phone to try to call 911 for an emergency or whatever and not be able to reach anybody. Um, and so some of the other tips that we have on our website are uh, a link to the FCC Lifeline program. Um, and many phone companies are offering free phones or discounted rates and things like that right now because they know that, that this transition is taking place. So they are trying to help, you know, work with people. And, you know, the, the common uh, theme out there is that if you have a 4G phone with cellular access, that's probably going to be okay for a few more years. But arm yourself with the knowledge and a plan now so that you don't get stuck in a bad situation. Okay. Cece, thank you for that background. And, and again, you know, I, I think we're all concerned, you know, okay, 4G for me for a few more years. I think a lot of people have questions, you know, at what point will that, those 3G phones just completely be out of date? They just won't work anymore. And we actually have, uh, a commenter, they, 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 they're not on the phone, but they did uh, email in and they have a question with regard to native elders and having difficulty just keeping up with this technology and also uh, trust issues with these wireless providers and these technology companies and this continual drive to upgrade devices and plans. And I'd like to ask um, Tracy, um, can you help us out here with regard to, to some of these elders and, and some of these challenges and these questions they have and this, this issue of trust with having to, you know, work with these companies to constantly keep this technology up to date? Sure. Uh, actually, I just went through it in the fall with my father. Uh, he actually reverted back from a smartphone to a, um, to a flip phone. But what we did was we just made sure that it had... Um, that it operated on the um, 
the 4G network, even though it was a flip phone, because there are flip phones. They're hard to find, but there are flip phones that work on the 4G network. So they're not going to go anywhere because 4G is the, under, is, is the redundant backup for 5G when there's no connectivity. So I just explained to him that, and I went with a simpler company. Um, the other thing that you can do that um, you brought up a little bit ago was you can just negotiate with your company. I just upgraded my phone to a 5G phone, and they tried to sell me an upgraded plan, but I stayed with my old loyalty plan that's 10 years old. I had no problem. The connectivity is still 5G. They don't. It's not like they're giving you a lower tier service. They just want you to upgrade because they think you are going to consume more. So you can stay on your original plan if you ask. And so I didn't incur any upgrade to my monthly costs for my service, just the phone itself. But I think with elders, it's you just got to you got to take the time to explain to them why they need at least a basic phone. You need to look for a if, if they want to stay with a flip phone, work, look for one that will work on the 4G network. And I don't think they're selling the old ones unless they go on, you know, Amazon. You have to be real careful on Amazon. But um, they're, you know, they're flip phones, simple, the old school phones that work on the 4G network that are just fine. And that's that's how I worked with my dad in getting him in getting him onto a, um, you know, going backwards in his technology, which is which simpler for him to deal with. Yeah, and Tracy, I think a lot of people are on board with that. I've talked to other people uh, and people that aren't elders that are just interested. Hey, I just want a cheap phone, a simple phone. I, I, I've heard of other people just going back to flip phones just for the sake of simplicity. And um, and that leads me to ask, you know, like, I, I mean, this is seem, I'm starting to feel a bit overwhelmed here um, in terms of like, how does a person know how to navigate all this and, and keep up to date. Uh, it, it really is um, just a lot of information and a course cost. And I know Jeff mentioned earlier these native digital advocates that are, are going to be able to assist folks in Indian country with, with handling all these issues. So Jeff, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because again, I don't want any of our listeners to just uh, after today's show to just kind of be like, well, wow, I just <laughs> I don't even know what to do now. I really want to make sure that that we give them some some good information and some good resources uh, to take home after the show. So I think the first thing is to recognize that the the um, generational elements of the digital divide are are not specific only to to tribal nations. They're not. It's not just Indian families that are having trouble articulating from their youth to their elders the value and the importance and the details of technology. Um, uh, it, it's very important to build into our community ethic this as a as a as a value, understanding and utilizing technology, and really helping our young and our old understand the puts and the takes of it. Um, there is much harm that can be brought by the internet as good things too. I mean, I think it's just really important the work that TC does in, in caring for the, the health and the, the mental health and the, and the, the safety of our communities. And I, I was really taken aback by, by the amount of um, good advice that she was giving about informing family. So first it starts with a value of us as Indians being we've always been highly adaptive and adoptive as societies. We've taken the best from from every communities that have come into us and we've left behind some of the worst. 
Uh, second, I think from the top down, our, uh, not just from the bottom up, but from the top down, our tribal nations need to build into their platforms, our tribal leaders, this digital awareness, this digital inclusion. Uh, it's very important um, what Tracy mentioned about 4G not going away, but, you know, sort of being minimized in a way where if you're going to go and find that only for your elders and for, in her case, uh, the, her father, to really learn about how to find that and, and sort of best practices and resources for our communities, because we are at the end of the digital dirt roads in Indian country. Uh, the other is really helping our, our communities understand that it's not just about the device they're using in their hand or on their, their laps or on their desktops or at their kitchen tables, but it's also what goes from their homes out down those digital dirt roads across the digital state highways to the to the digital you know superhighway and and making sure that our communities are engaged you know what's going to drive deployment to the last elements of of those that are divided from the digital nation is is adoption and usage is going to be this inclusion it's going to be companies who engage with Indian country that understand that we're the last consumers out there that they want to get to and the last users. And we need to make sure that from our families, our tribal nations, that we understand and take our rightful place and explain to them how we want to utilize and consume technology. Um, this is an area where there's been a small but very committed group of tribal representatives that have advocated for policy development and, and training and tribal education in this. And now, as a result of a global pandemic, it's really a boom time era. This is the time to be having these sorts of conversations in the tribal councils and in the family reunions. Um, because this whole panel has said, everybody said, this is really expensive stuff. And it can get, right. you know, if you don't control it, it can control you. So. Thanks for that question. It's very important. Thanks, Sean. Absolutely. And I really want to hammer home that point of uh, our internet connections and uh, only as strong and as fast as the weakest link in the chain. So that could be outdated fiber or not enough fiber or a number of other uh, critical pieces of infrastructure along the way. Well, folks, I'm sorry. We've reached the end of the hour and another fascinating conversation. I want to thank my guests, Jeffrey Blackwell. Erica Hovey, and Dr. Tracy Morris for their expertise in guiding us through the future of 5G wireless technology and its impact on Native communities. We are back tomorrow with another awesome live show. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce, and thanks for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling.
Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. Scholarship applications are now open for the upcoming school year at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. Support by Roswell Park, who know tribal communities face persistent challenges in health equity, such as cancer and higher death rates. The Center for Indigenous Cancer Research at Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center is dedicated to advancing cancer research that will lead to translatable science, medicine, and cancer care for indigenous populations worldwide. Are you at high risk for cancer? A no-charge online assessment tool is available at roswellpark.org assessme. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.